Hello and welcome to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. My goal is to help you become exactly who you want to be. We are here to help you take your biggest, boldest, most beautiful vision for life and turn that vision into reality. Welcome back. Today we have best-selling author and former pro rugby player, Ben Mercer. Ben shares the story of how he fell in love with books and writing. We speak about friendship dynamics in adult men. And Ben shares a lot of detailed insight into his internal experience and his process for getting really good at things. Throughout the whole recording, Ben was absolutely beaming. Such a kind guy, and I can't wait for you to feel his passion and his inspiration as he speaks. You're going to love this episode. Okay, so tell me about the experience of going from a rugby player to a content creator. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's a long one. It's not a straight line. So, you know, when I when I stopped playing rugby, I was I'd sort of turned 30 that year. I moved back to the UK from France where I'd finished up. And then I was I was very pleased to be out of that environment because I think the last sort of six months or so of it, I'd really had enough. So I was quite I was quite sort of thrilled and I used my summer to do all these things I didn't get to do before. You know, I wasn't training. So I was going to weddings and you know, sort of doing all those social things and going on like long holidays and just loving it. And I knew there'd be a bit of a kind of reckoning. But then I was suddenly really adrift because I think what you really miss is the sort of group and you've got that, even if you don't necessarily like stay friends uh, forever and ever, like you have a very kind of intense friendship in the time you work together. And so suddenly I was out on my own and I was looking into kind of different employment options and writing and books were always my passion growing up as well. So I started freelance writing and to begin with, I was very fearful of kind of um, putting any content out. And I liked the idea of being a kind of right behind the scenes sort of writer, you know, and ghostwriting people's uh, stuff, you know, thought leadership stuff and whatever else. And I did little bits of that. But as I went, I could, I sort of was developing my own ideas. And then just by virtue of doing that and building up material for what became my first book, I realized that, you know, if I don't start making content you know that that's really what you need to do you need to sell your own work because increasingly you know in sort of publishing that you are you, yeah you are your best salesperson and sometimes you're your only salesperson so you know that involves making content so i did have to kind of get over that fear and and it was also probably like a bit of ego really you know why should I, why should I have to do that? And I, and I see it now with other people and they come to me for advice. I think sometimes they're like, oh, you know, well, if I write or if I create, if I, if I'm making whatever I'm making, if it's music or art, you know, somebody else should be sort of the salesperson. But yeah, I think there's definitely sort of both elements, you know, the fear and the kind of ego. In the, in the era when we grew up, I imagine that if you were a kid who was thinking about being a musician or thinking about being a writer, the, the path that you saw for yourself was just like writing and or singing and getting discovered. And then every, someone else would do the marketing for you. And all you had to do was focus on your craft, your, your artistry. And it's, it's different now. Like it seems like it seems to be the case. I have a, a good friend who 
is deeply immersed in the music industry. And what, what I'm gathering from her is the, the thing to do, like the people who are successful in music are the people who have figured out how to blow up on TikTok. That's Mm -hmm. who record companies are paying attention to. I imagine that it's similar with writing. And I loved hearing you say that in the beginning, you re- you were resistant to that. You didn't want it to be like that. And then somehow you worked through that resistance. What were the things that seemed to be the most important to help you work through that resistance and then just be like accepting that that's what it was if you wanted to have the success that you wanted? I think um, one of the things I did, so the book in particular and everything I was doing when you when you kind of retire from being an athlete I really think it is a sort of extended adolescence and I know you're into you know I know you're into a bit of your young and I've subsequently seen some things about sort of young stages of life and you're very much in there is an athlete stage isn't there the warrior stage where you sort of want to prove yourself and um yeah I'm I'm like kind of stuck in that stage like it's a little arrested (laughs) development for me I'm so envious that you got to be a professional athlete and have that experience so deeply resonates with me that you got to do that <laughs> no i think the um i just knew uh, and i remember actually just being told even if i hadn't figured it out so you know a friend's wife and he's an older guy who's who played rugby and his wife works at a law firm and i remember we went to an event like in a group and she said after she was like look you guys you're you know you're, you're great guys and you've got so many qualities and she's like but you know when you turn up as a retired athlete you know you're a 30 year old you return up and you you're as useful as a graduate to me, you know, like you don't know, you don't know anything. And, and I knew that, I think I maybe knew that too well. And so had no kind of confidence in what I was doing, but I definitely used the first book was certainly a sort of personal growth project. And it was really sort of, I, I wanted to do it anyway. And I wanted, and it, I used it as a sort of, I wanted it to be proof of like a kind of professional ability to write, but also it was like, okay, you know, you hate selling and you know you hate um you know making content and emailing people you don't know and you know all these things i use them as little ways to like uh, push up my own boundaries i suppose of things i knew that i was bad at and if i wanted to be working in that world that actually i'd have to kind of turn around and get good at it yeah and I, I still don't think i'm you know i i think like anything you're probably never done improving at these things there's always somewhere else you can go but uh yeah i'm definitely further along than when i started we'll put it like that and and are you so i i mean i told i feel you so deeply i'm i my my soul just recoils at anything that feels salesy i i don't like it and my strategy and it's a little bit of like there i if i'm being truthful there's a little bit of well, I'm, I'm not, I won't condemn it. I'll, be, I'll call it confidence where I'm like, I'm going to create content that is so good and I'm going to be so good at my craft that I don't have to sell and it's just going to happen for me because I'm, because I'm so resistant to selling energy. I don't like it. I don't like tricking people. I don't like, you know, I, I want everything to be about a transparent interaction and relationship. And I imagine that it's, it's similar for you. So I'm curious about like, what have, have you kind of designed your own way of selling things? Like, like what does selling look like for you now? Yeah, I think I'm probably still 
not so good at it in a way. I th- and the other thing is because I've I've got this TikTok account and it's grown because I share the books I like to read and people have almost then sort of stumbled onto my books, uh, you know, by the side. So I've not actually made loads and loads of content about my my own books. And also they, they've been out for a couple of years already. But I think, like you say, um, I just, I know that I could optimize further or that there are sort of systems and, and you see other people do them and they're great because I think sometimes uh, someone's kind of, system it feels congruent with who you feel they are so you're like oh well that that suits that guy and i don't think it suits me so i just kind of yeah i share and i sort of um i know i could probably be a bit more intentional in a way but i think i'd rather like you say do as do as well as i can and whether that's making um you know writing the best book or doing the best audio book i'm, I'm hoping to do kind of more audio stuff now and i think it's it's sort of like you're saying, if you have the right intention and you make the quality as good as you can be, then all you need to do is present it. You know, yes. you don't you need to do anything beyond that. And I think there's um, the difficulty, I suppose, now is that there's being good at your thing and then there's being good at the content. And those are two things, you know, so uh, it's actually, yes. it's it's um, one, you know, they can feed into the other, but, you know, they are slightly different things. So, you know, you have to kind of be feeding both wolves, I suppose. Do you like getting good at the content piece of it? Like, do you like that that's part of your development journey is is getting good at the skill of making content? I still feel like I'm really bad at it, to be honest. You do? I <laughs> love your I do. I think it's so good. You do. <laughs> Um, you know, because you always see other people's and you think, oh, they're so, you know, theirs look so kind of like aesthetic and cool. And But I think the ones, um, and again, I think the lesson I learn a lot is sometimes when I overthink things. Uh, you know, and I think, oh, this is a great idea. And I spend ages and I get the right clips and, you know, and I do an edit. And actually the ones that people like or the, the the posts that have done the best for me have been probably the ones where I've just been the most relaxed and the most genuine. And you can just tell, that, oh, I think because I really thought those things, people just respond to it. And then I think about when I see other people and I think, okay, like, what do you respond to in another person? And I really think that interested is interesting. So mm. it's like... You know, when somebody else is clearly really interested in something, it almost doesn't matter what that thing is. You can't help but um, be drawn to them because they've got such a sort of magnetism. And, you know, they could be talking about anything. They could be talking about something that you've got no interest in whatsoever. But because they are like clearly buzzed about it, there's something about it that pulls you in. I suppose, yeah, it's trying to find those things. And I think maybe be a bit braver about maybe the sort of... um, yeah, maybe they're like the less obvious or the less cool bits, I suppose. The, yes. So I haven't I haven't posted it yet, but I did a video the other day and it was about, because um, people always ask how I got into reading and because I was like, I was sort of back and I found, dug out a load of my old books and I found all these books from like, from my childhood and they're not cool at all, you know? <laughs> so, but actually you're like, okay, well this might be cool because it's like, it is a bit of a draw the, draw the dots and you can see how someone might end up you know, being really into like reading whatever they're reading, but actually what they started with was, yeah, just like not cool stuff in the slightest. What What is some of the not cool stuff you were reading? Yeah, I, I mean, like I loved uh, like adventure stuff, I think. And I think this is like um, an interesting thing to maybe go into a bit later as well. Um, I loved, you know, I, and we lived in the middle of nowhere. So we lived in this like um, 
old barn like out in the countryside with nothing you know like it was just like a wasteland around the place and had no shops or no, no stuff and so it was just sort of me and my brother would play outside till it got dark and then I had nothing else to do so I think um adventure stuff was really cool so I felt like I was kind of exploring the world and going around and that led on to kind of fantasy stuff so Lord of the Rings type things and another probably probably like nerdier stuff like Forgotten Realms books and things and yes. and then one of the other books I found was um and this must have been yeah when I was like still pretty young like my dad must have given it to me but stuff like Just William like really old school like English yes. sort of schoolboy humor funny stuff and then you can see how that goes through into some of the other things and i think i think with books as well like maybe what happens is first you want to explore other places but then actually later um yeah you kind of you want to learn what it's like to be a different person you know like someone who's not like yourself and you think okay like i can get a perspective from someone that I would never meet, you know, like I, I end up reading a book from, you know, the other side of the world and as someone who's totally different, different age, different everything, you know, and actually being able to kind of relate to that. And I think, yeah, so when I think about it now, I'm like, I think it began as a sort of exploration of place. And then later it gets ah, into sort of people. Identity you know? and people. First it's place, mm. then it's identity, exploring different identities, exploring the mm. internal worlds of different people. And then what did you do with that? Were you like, were, do you think you accumulated information about who you want to be? Like you got to construct an identity for yourself based on what you were reading? Yeah, I don't know. I think you can, you can, you can definitely get the wrong idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think, and because the other side of me was like, I was super sporty. So I was out and that's very much like the joy of it is in the moment, right? You, you get to almost like forget about yourself and you, it's what's best in that moment, you know, how you felt and all the rest of it. I think it was nice to have those two, those ah. two sides. Because I think those were the, those are the things I can't think about. Um, yeah. Whether I constructed I mean, maybe I did. I, I just, I'd have to think about it a little bit longer. To be honest. But you were just love, you were in love with the experience. Like you loved mm. getting to immerse yourself into a different world. Yeah, no, that was it. I really loved it. I really, really loved it. And, and I still do. No, and I, I, ima- I imagine when, when playing rugby, you were immersed into that world. Like it sounds like yeah, your again. life was really designed around immersion into the experiences that you were having. No, I think that's probably true. Yeah, I I loved it. And I think particularly when you're a kid, you know, you're not tired, are you? So I used to, you know, play for my school on Saturday, play for my club on a Sunday. And then once I got good, then I started, you know, having extra training in the weeks and you're just playing every single day. But I got completely, you know, I'd get I'd get up um, because I was in the UK, the Southern Hemisphere competition in New Zealand. That was where, you know, they were kind of better, really. And it was a slightly faster, probably a bit more exciting style. It was the weather was largely a bit better as well. Mm-hmm. But those games were on first thing in the morning. So you, used to, the, you could tell when someone was like a real head because they'd get up and watch a 6 a.m. or an 8 a.m. game on a Friday or a Saturday, you know. And and I, I got to know everybody and I started sort of picking out the guys who were they they might be in my position or they might just be they might have a, a a skill or a particular move or or something and i remember being quite um yeah being quite intentional about copying some of those guys and going and practicing some of the things and and yeah it was um i think that was it and i ended up knowing you know so much about who everybody was and where they were and where they'd 
been to the point other people would be a bit like, oh, that's, you know, you, you know a lot about, you know, even for, even for us in the team, you know a lot, which is weird. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're right. I was totally into it. I, and I loved not every minute of training because some of it is super boring, but, um, and or, or really hard and painful and cold. But like, I actually, I, I, I did just love playing. I love being in the game and actually the the possibilities that that those games brought every time you know i i often the thing that you spoke about where you're you're watching this sport on tv you're watching athletes who you love uh, and and you're you're identifying the ways of moving and the things that the, the things that you want to do too I actually use that as an example really often with people because there's also a version of that where the kid is sitting at home watching rugby on the TV and they're seeing athletes move in a particular way. And that kid is thinking, Oh, I can't do that. Like, that's not, I love this. I like watching this, but I'm actually feeling anxious when I'm watching this because I know that that's not available for me. What I'm hearing you say is that your experience was that you knew you could do those things. You, you were seeing them and you knew that you could do those things. They were available for you. And I'm just curious, like, how, like, what do you think it is about you that allowed you to see those things and know that you could emulate them or replicate them? I think, um, you know, I definitely didn't get to replicate all of them, but, <laughs> but I think it's, it's that like in sport, they talk about growth mindset and it's, um, and it's allowing yourself to be bad, actually, and being like, okay, and not being too scared of of trying. And I think that was maybe something that later in my rugby career, I got a bit more kind of, um, a bit less adventurous, maybe. But actually, when I was a kid, I thought, yeah, I think I could go and practice that. I will try that. And because we played a lot of, you know, touch rugby in the playground and stuff, you, you got a lot of opportunities to test things in a sort of slightly lower pressure place. And then when you went and played a different game, you know, an actual match and in a different context, then you might just, because you'd already grooved the pattern in your mind, you know, you almost would do things without thinking about them. And that's really where you want to get to as an athlete. It's yeah. like, it's a problem solving sort of endeavor. A lot of the time people think it's kind of maybe just pure instinct and it that's the level you want to get to but sometimes you are it's pattern matching you see something and you're like right that's that and if this happens these are my kind of two or three things and you want to get to the point where you're not even thinking those things you know and so i think it's it it is probably beginning by letting yourself just be a bit bad and giving yourself um somewhere to go and and play and just just try it out you know um and there'll be certain things that yeah maybe you can't replicate but there'll be some other things that with a bit of practice you know you'd be surprised and i mean what what i'm kind of what i'm hearing there is that you had the confidence to be bad at it like you you allowed yourself to be bad at it and get the repetitions in so that it like entered your body and then you could just do it instinctually when you needed to do it like that's that's a really one of the things that i i speak about with people is falling in love with being an imposter like falling in love with the experience of yeah okay you are an imposter right now and you're you're going to be an imposter until you are good at this thing and then you're not but in order to be good at it you have to be an imposter and i'm hearing you say like 
that was I'm not, I mean, sounds like that was fine for you. Like you were fine to show up and play touch rugby the next day and try something and be bad at it, trusting that you would get good at it over time. No, I think that's true. And I, but it's interesting because, um, that attitude is not always deployable in everything, you know, and I, I remember people talking about grit, you know, and saying that there are certain people that talk about Olympic rowers are people with a lot of grit. And I was like, yeah, I think they have a lot of grit at rowing. You know, I, I don't think they all have a lot of grit when it comes to solving, you know, an algebra equation. You know, it's sort of, so it's the same for me. I think in certain arenas, I was quite happy with with that kind of bargain of, of sort of, okay, I'll be bad now, but, you know, in a couple of weeks, maybe I'll be all right. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's kind of moving those attitudes across different spheres. And it's funny you say it because um, one of the other things is, since I stopped playing rugby and I'd always like sort of dabbled with bits of it and I was a decent swimmer. So the ocean's something I'm, I've always kind of enjoyed being in, but I actually thought, Oh, I'd love to kind of get into surfing a little bit. I need to, I need to try some new sports and I've always liked the idea of surfing and, but I've never had the time, you know, to kind of commit to it. And I'm all right now, but I think one of the things I did, one of the things I liked was being bad because I was like, well, I've spent ages trying to get, in, you know incrementally better at playing rugby and towards the end probably just trying not to get worse because you know you, you get a bit slower and all yeah. the rest of it but actually with surfing I just I really liked the possibility I was like well I'm pretty bad so actually I think every time I go I'll probably improve a bit and I'll improve a lot quicker than I will at this and that was exciting to me so I think sometimes it's also thinking like seeing being bad not as a sort of millstone but as a sort of really positive opportunity so well i'm actually quite bad so even you know even if i do this five times i'm probably going to be way better than when i start right yes are you and do you notice like it sounds like with your body with sports it's easy for you to apply growth mindset i'm going to be bad but with repetition it's you know it's funny it's like it's actually it doesn't seem that it's just repetition it seems like you said play earlier. It seems like mm. it's repetition while being in a state of play, while having like a light, joyful, fun internal experience. That seems to be the thing that allows people to get good at things faster. It's probably not probably not just sport either. And, you know, a bit like we're talking about making content. And I think if you took the pressure off and, and just sort of set yourself okay, I'll do one a day for, and this is what I did at the beginning of the TikTok account. I was like, you know, I, I basically picked a format. I'll sit here, I'll read from a book I like, and I'll do that for two weeks and I'll do one a day. I can do that. It'll take me, you know, half an hour to pick a book and find a passage and sit and do it. And if I hate it, I'll just stop. And yeah. then, you know, like, so fortunately for me, I didn't and it, and it's kind of gone on from there, but that, that really was like the first thing I did. And I suppose it's trying to take, um, yeah, trying to sort of, give yourself the opportunities and take the pressure off yourself and let yourself just sort of, yeah, like, like you said, like play in a kind of low pressure place. I think that's, play that's in how. a low pressure place with deliberate practice. Like you had a plan for yourself, even when you're, you're, you, when you're a kid and you saw a move on TV and then you practice it, you were, you had a, a, something deliberate. You knew the thing that you were going to practice. And what I'm gathering is that you, in these particular domains, in content and in rugby and in surfing, you have had the experience of like being in a state of play and lightness while deliberately practicing something. Mm. 
And I think models are really important. Like you said, you know, I, I used to watch TV and I went on a surf trip this summer and I was def- I was definitely the worst surfer there. Like, you know, there are some guys there, they're amazing, but actually it's, um, yeah, I think it was really, it's really amazing to watch people who are really good. And, and again, when we were younger, we were lucky because our gym used to be um, up at the university in Bath and there all these Olympic athletes and they might've been like, can you stop looking at me? But obviously those guys are real masters so you're watching them do things and think oh wow okay like that's that's what that's supposed to look like Uh now you know i'll go and do it and it's i think in anything it's you know you want a bit of the kind of you want to find these models in an inspiring way but not in a way that yeah feels kind of prohibitive to you ever starting so i think that can be the other thing if you look at people who are so beyond you it can feel like completely remote and unapproachable so there is a balance to it but yeah you're right i think it's um I think that's important as well, having people to look at. That the thing that you just said about like you you can see how a person uh, moves and you're like, oh, that's what that's supposed to look like. And then you know in your body how to move that way. What I'm here, I mean, one way of describing that is having a high a high kinesthetic intelligence. And I've found that the people who I know who are the best athletes are really good at doing it. They are very particular about, oh, that's how that's supposed to look. And they know in their bodies why it's supposed to. It's not just an aesthetic thing. It's like a, it's an, it's, it's an efficacy thing. They know that it looking a particular way is reflective of something internally that's producing more power, more speed, more agility. And people with high levels of kinesthetic intelligence are able to replicate it immediately. It sounds like you have that. I think sometimes, yeah, I remember there's certain things that did take me ages. There's a couple of like Olympic lifts and one of them, I could not get it to begin with. Like cleaning, Which one? You know, the clean, you know, off yeah. the floor. And I could not get it. And, I, and, you know, I'm there with a little bar, nothing on it, you know, like a piece of wood, like a broom handle. And uh, and I remember being useless at it. But then once I, there's there's something that clicked for me. And once I got it, then I became quite good at it quite quickly. But it was it was just getting that initial groove where I felt like I was going absolutely nowhere. And then once I got it, then, yeah, you're right. Then it kind of became something that I was quite comfortable at, with, with you doing. Could, once um, you felt it, you could just replicate it. Exactly. And what, what do you train? Do you train or are you playing? Do you play sports as well? Like what's your, I, your I play, I play, I play tennis. I surf. Um, uh, and I train, I have a friend named Connor who I like, I, I think that he is really evolving the training world. He's working with a couple, uh, U S Olympic athletes for the, for the wrestling team and Connor's movement is all about teaching people how to rotate and coil in the most effective and efficient ways. Um, so I do all of his stuff and I really like it a lot. And then, yeah, I, I play a lot of tennis. I'm not surfing right now cause I'm in Italy, but I surf and that's, those are the things I'm doing. Yeah, cool. No, I, tennis is one of those things when I was a kid, I used to play a bit and I was, I was decent, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, one of the best guys in my year at school necessarily, but I was sort of in the team. I, you know, they'd they'd go down the order and be like, "Oh, we need people." You know, come. <laughs> yes. And I love and I love playing, but you know, now I'm I haven't played for so long. And I'm completely useless. You know, and it's one of those you'd love to kind of get back into it in a way. But I think I might go and try um, 
paddle or I like squash as well but those those games are so fun just a bit quicker and you know kind of on that smaller court and just a lot a lot of movement like you say I think the the sort of twisting lunging you know the rotation that sort of stuff they're so um they're such sort of natural movements I think does get that those things kind of they're not served all the time by kind of going to the gym or, you know, certain, certain styles of conditioning and stuff. So it's interesting just to get another input for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, it's, it's almost every, besides swimming, the movements are just about every single movement in paddle sports that a human can do. There's like a throwing motion in the form of the serve and overheads, um, all the rotation, all the lateral movement, they're sprinting. It's like, it, it feels so good to do. And I, you know, there's, I've, I've seen research that says that, that says that people who play paddle sports live the longest. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with like, like you're able to play for a long time. That's like, I don't, I don't think it messes too many people's knees up so they can play for a long time. You're outside. But I also think that it's the stimulation of these fundamental human movements, navigating 360 degrees of space. That's like very stimulating for the brain and the nervous system. Whereas like jogging is great, but it's, it's not stimulating in a complex and dynamic way. You're not having to like process, um, you're not having to process moving variables around you. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I love it so much is because it's like, how can I have this experience of having to move in all these complex ways and process space, process 360 degrees of space around me while remaining calm and peaceful and centered and having fun. Like that's the real chat. It's like a practice of centeredness through what externally looks like this, like, like chaos of movement. Yeah, definitely. And it's, um, I mean, like to go back to your jogging point, I think like I used to always hate it because we, we didn't condition like that. We were lots of sprints and shuttles and, you know, things like that. And so if we ever, if I ever had to kind of go for a long run, I was really bad. I was a bit heavier, a bit bulkier as well. So I just used to hate it. And partly in the pandemic, just for something to do, I was going for these kind of increasingly long runs when I left the house. And I actually began to, and it was what you're saying, because there's not actually a lot going on. I would, and I stopped taking tech a lot as well. So I was almost using it as an active meditation. I'd just go and be like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to anything. I'm just going to go and be outside. Just going to sort of sit my thoughts a little bit, see what goes on. And then I started using it as a bit of sort of active exploration as well. So now I'm in London. Sometimes, you know, you just run off in a different direction and go, you know, okay, right. I, I know vaguely like where I'm going and actually I get to sort of explore in a way that I just wouldn't, I wouldn't just walk around, um, you know, a couple of miles away from the, from where I live. For no, <laughs> just a yeah. 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 But it's actually quite a nice way. And like you say, it's almost like I, I, I get to relax, but I'm also then kind of learning a bit more about the area and kind of internalizing it without realizing. And I think that's, that's how I kind of think about jogging. I'm not really interested in sort of timing myself and, or, or, or kind of recording anything. It's more just about, okay, this is actually a way I relax because uh, probably similarly to you, you know, I, I'm online, you know, I'm online a lot and I, I do things on my phone and actually it's nice just to be like, you know what, get the tech away and just let, let myself just, you know, let things percolate a little. Yeah. I mean, going back to, to your earliest books, that sounds like adventure. Like you, you really love the experience of like jogging into the unknown and exploring. 
Yeah, even in small ways like that. Yeah, actually, it's, I suppose that's where I think about. Uh, so with surfing, it's really cool. And also, it's really cool to hear you say that you are so okay with being bad. It's also really uncommon. I think that of all the sports that I'm aware of, people are the most afraid of being bad at surfing. And I maybe I'm not sure how what the culture is like where you live, but and I, I'm curious for you to tell me about it. The being out in the lineup in California can be really intimidating for people. It's, it's a particularly intimidating sport more than any other sport that, that I've participated in or know of. And I'm curious about like what your, how are you able to go out into the surfing lineup and be bad and have fun being bad while surfing in what is the most intimidating sport environment that I know of. I think you're right. It is intimidating. And um, I've, I, I'm all right now. So I think it's, I'm, but there's, it's also sort of respecting the spots a little bit as well, you know, and the, the first time I committed a lot of time to it was a couple of years. It was actually before the pandemic. And I went to Portugal for six or seven weeks and like worked remotely. I was in Ericeira, um and I stayed in this place and the guys there had all the gear. So I used to go out with them at the end of the day and different people, you know, some people were really good. Some people weren't so great. And I think part of it was just the, the tough bit was getting fit. I think once you're sort of paddle fit, then everything's a lot easier. You can kind of stay out of people's way. You can catch things. You can get yourself out of trouble if that happens. And I think you need to get that kind of base level of fitness. And I think just being, yeah, cognizant of where you are and who's there is is sort of obvious. Um, and yeah, I think if you can go to like a big emptier place, then that's obviously better. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're in the lineup and you're battling over over a couple of waves, people are going to kind of be a lot more aggressive, aren't they? So I think it's sort of picking your moment. I I don't I don't know loads on that one. It is a it's a tough one because it does feel intimidating, but I think. People can be nice, you know. I think they can be nice, I, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, but it's yeah. I think don't get ahead of yourself too quickly as well. I think you know it's it's very it can be really dangerous, can't it? So if you're if you're in over your head, it can be like a problem, and then someone else will probably have to come in, you know, help you out. And you shouldn't really put anyone else in that position. So I think it's kind of being respectful all around. But yeah, people. I think some people probably could be a bit nicer as well. And I think like, <laughs> um, but when I'm in the UK, I go down to Cornwall and there's, there's definitely kind of local spots where it's like, well, I think you leave those alone. And then there's beaches where it's quite acceptable to go. And there's like a range of people and it's all good. So yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a bit of that as well. And one of the things that you said earlier on was the experience of getting to be an athlete or being in the archetype of a warrior into your adulthood and and you mentioned the friendships that you got to have it's mm. which is which is sadly uh it's sadly uncommon for men to get to have friendships like that through their 20s maybe in their early 30s through 40s men are tend to be pretty alone and it's and it's sad to think about how like i mean by far my best memories from high school were playing sports 
and the experience of being around guys who I loved, like so many hilarious jokes, so many great relationships, like bonded around this common goal, this common identity, like the experience of playing a sport. And I'm curious, like, what do you think that having that has done for you? Getting to have that like warrior archetype and the friendships. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I love what that's one of the ways I feel so rich. It, it really is in the kind of breadth and depth of a lot of my friendships and and with rugby as well. And particularly the level I played, where you know lots of people things change a lot year to year. People are on kind of one year deals and move around a lot you end up with a lot of friends and a lot of places all across the world. And I feel so, I really do feel rich uh, in that respect. And part of the, that was part of the motivation behind my first book as well, was that I wanted to kind of cap off my rugby career. It was, it was a memoir of, you know, my time playing and it was set over the time I was in France, but also it was a, it was a bit of a sort of way of like sort of saying, look, there's all these guys doing this and actually they're, they're me and my friends and they're great people. And some of them are great players and some of them, you know, some people get to go on to kind of bigger things and other people don't, but actually they're all still, they're all still friends. They're all still worthy of um, being in the conversation. And yeah, I, I definitely, uh, it's more difficult when you get older and particularly when people have kids and things, but I think, I think you, you be the, be the friend you would like to have, you know, I think sometimes you, you can't be on all the time and you can't, be in touch with everybody all the time because the world's busy and you're busy. But I think every so often, if you make that initial, if you send that WhatsApp first, you know, um, there's no, even if you didn't get a reply, there's no way it's a, it's a bad thing. You know, you did what you can do and you, you're being the kind of person you'd like to be. You're, you're take, you know, you're, you're almost practicing being a good friend. And I think it will come back to you. People are, people are, um, yeah, people are nice. I think by and large, most people are nice people. Did, is it, have you maintained a lot of those friendships? Like, does it, is it pretty easy for you to maintain your friendships with people? Yeah, I think people spread out, they do different things, but yeah, there's definitely lots of, lots of people. So school and, um, and my kind of academy team, there's guys I'm still in touch with then. And, you know, you just sort of, you'll have a few people from each group you stay in touch with. Some of the old WhatsApp groups stay alive. So people every now and again, send something. Sometimes someone will organize a little bit of a reunion to maybe, you know, once a year or whatever. And yeah, it's great. And I think people are just sort of, um, mutually supportive. Like, even if that's from a distance, you know, people are doing different things, but everyone's kind of still still checking on each other but yeah i definitely feel very lucky there's people all, all around the world now you know um from yeah literally probably anywhere that's playing rugby you know there'll be someone and um yeah and it's always exciting to see those people it's really great do you think that getting to play a sport for so long taught you how to be a really good friend i think so i think and as well because when you go into new places as well, and there's an existing group, an existing hierarchy, and a bit like the surf lineup, you know, you need to come in and you need to be like, okay, like I, I can I can stay here and I can join in, but actually you still need to be aware of who everybody is, what they like, you know, who they're friends with. And and that skill of making friends is probably is definitely something I'd say. And because 
that was facilitated through rugby in particular because everyone was so different as well you know there's mm -hmm. people from all sorts of different backgrounds different places and and one of the great joys about france was that everyone was so different because in the uk you know everyone is by and large from the uk so even though there's some sort of differences like within those people everyone's got quite similar experiences for the most part but when we we're in france it was you know all these people from all over the place and it just made it it was crazy but actually you got to hear all these incredible stories and just particularly you know guys from countries that didn't play so much rugby you know people from like the, we had a guy from the czech republic and you're like oh, yeah. <laughs> they awesome. didn't play much rugby. So that guy has really kind of gone a distance you know to make a life and a career out of a sport that's that's not a thing in his country so you're just like wow what a what a courageous person you know and what an interesting person and there are loads of there are loads of that guy you know there are loads of people like that and it was i think that was it was that because everyone was so different you had to be ready to kind of to deal with that and to roll with it but because there was always this common topic or a thing you could all fall back on then it it, it definitely made it easier to do so you were you have the commonality, you have the sport that everyone is involved with and has a whole bunch of experience with. And also what it sounds like is like you, you were, you were willing to learn about who a person was. Like you were willing to be open-minded and, and you were willing to be in awe of other people to learn about that. You're like, you know, it's not, it's not that common of a thing to have the perspective of like, oh, wow, this, this guy grew up in Czech Republic. Uh, there's no rugby there. Like what a fantastic thing. How courageous is that? Like that's a, whenever people say kind things to me, when people compliment me, I tend to say, thank you for choosing to see me that way. Because when you're seeing that guy in that way, that teammate of yours, you're choosing to see him in a way that evokes like awe, wonder, curiosity. And you certain you could choose to see him in a way that evokes dickhead energy or like, you know, so like you're making a choice there with how you're relating to him. And I think that's a really, that's a special thing. And I think that I'm curious to hear about your experience with this. Like, I think men, men in particular struggle to have the confidence to just be in awe of other people, but particularly with other men. Uh, it have, did you see that? Like, what's your take on that? No, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And I think now with, with my friends, I think now we're all a bit older. Everyone's kind of relaxed a bit. Everyone's a bit more kind of, everyone's maybe striving a bit less in a way. And it's like, you know, we're not all in competition. So everyone can be a bit nicer, but I think yeah. definitely younger guys, <laughs> I think younger guys, definitely. And I remember there was one teammate I had who was super smart. He was a really, really clever guy. But he, and he looked, he was, he was a fascinating character because he looked quite rough. You know, he was like shaved head, northern guy, big, big unit. You know, <laughs> to, he, he looked a bit scary, but he was super smart. You know, he'd been to Cambridge and he was a really, really clever guy. But I remember he was kind of bantering one of the guys who we didn't know so well by texting him compliments. And, and I'll never forget it. And the guy didn't know what to do. The guy was like, is he, is he taking the piss out of me? And, and he was taking the piss out of him a bit, but the, the, sort of the, the method he chose was to give him what was actually like a kind of real and honest compliment. And the uh -huh. guy just did, did not know what to do with That's it. That's hilarious. There's, like, there's no yeah. framework for navigating that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, no one's ever done this to me. What is going on? And I think, yeah, that's definitely a thing. I think guys, we're, 
we're probably not only not good at giving them, we're not good at getting them. And I think that then, you know, it's, it's definitely something, and particularly with the books, where pe- someone might randomly say, oh, I read your book, I really enjoyed it. And, you, and I've just had to sort of practice not being awkward. I mean, oh, thank you. That, like, that means a lot. It's really nice of you. Yes. And, um, and it's okay. You know, it's okay just as you don't have to come back with a compliment either. You can just say thanks and that's fine. You know, <laughs> it's, it's fine. And um, that's always stuck with me, that one experience that someone was so unused to getting compliments from their peers that they were like, he must be mocking me. And they were right, but you know, it was just the the mockery was only possible because that is a common experience. And right. Yeah. Right. I I was I'm I can't remember in, in what book this was, but I was recently reading about this uh, hunter gatherer tribe that still exists. So anthropologists go and they learn about them, and one of the things that they do. So you know, hunting the men who bring back the stuff, like obviously like the bigger, the bigger, the thing, I don't even know the terminology for it, but the bigger, the animal that you bring back, like the, the more valuable you are to your tribe. Right. But what they do, what they've developed as a culture and as a practice is to keep the playing field level and not, and not, uh, and not let there be like a too clear of a hierarchy. They, uh, criticize and make fun of the kills that people bring back. So the culture will never compliment um, like any of the hunts that are brought back as a way of keeping the playing field kind of level and not allowing for there to be like one guy who is the guy who has a little bit too much power or whatever. I thought that that was really interesting. And like, I, I was thinking about how, like when, when I was playing sport, like whenever, in a group of men, especially when we're younger, like all there is, is making fun of each other, but it's loving. It's like, I never experienced it as meanness. And though sometimes it did get mean and people got their feelings hurt. And I'm like, but it, it, for the most part was an expression of love. It's a very funny way that we learn to express love by getting really good at making fun of each other. I think that's true. And I think in the rugby context, when it was, and like you say, things can go too far, but you know, things, um, I think the humor denotes that something's acceptable. So once there's a quality in someone that can be made fun of, uh, it's, it's become, yeah, an accepted quality and people wouldn't make fun of you if they didn't like you. They might test you at the beginning and be like, oh, you know, what sort of person is he? Um, but actually later, like you say, you wouldn't be included in, in the process if you weren't accepted by everybody. And, um, and even with, you know, some, some things that can be, you know, would not be broadcastable necessarily, (laughs) but but like, that, like you say, it's actually like, no, no, we, we see you're like this, or we see this is who you are and we're laughing, but that's because we love you. And like, actually you're, we're all in this, we're all laughing at this and yeah. We, we, we see this thing, we acknowledge this thing. And it's, it's a, it's a very interesting version of acknowledgement. And that's something that people don't often do with each other is communicate. I am paying attention to this specific thing about you. I see that people don't often say that. And it's, and it's cool. It's like a very interesting and innovative way of being able to communicate things that you notice and see about other people and also communicate like, yes, I love you and I accept you. This is just funny to me. I, with, with my family, my 
my mom in particular is incredibly witty and is amazing at making fun of me and is amazing at making fun of my dad. And she raised both me and my sister to be also really witty and we're like expert level making fun of each other. And we love making fun of each other. It's one, it's like really our love language with me and my sister. And I would say that one of the things that that's done for me is help me develop a relationship with anything that I think could is supposed to be like hidden away from the world or is going to get me to be rejected or something I should be ashamed of. Literally anything about me is material for my sister and I to make fun of me about. So anything that I that maybe most people would be ashamed of, we can use as material for the exchange of love. And I and I think that that is one of the things that has really translated for me to a, to a lot of confidence. Like there's not a single thing that I can think of about myself that I wouldn't be excited to like make fun of me about with you or my sister or any, you know, and, and, and when I'm thinking about, and I, and I don't want to extrapolate too much, but when I'm thinking about what you were saying about growth mindset, like I, I'm wondering if like your ability to be okay with being bad at stuff is related to your comfort with being made fun of. Um, like with your comfort with being part of a group of people who like see the great things about you and the shitty things about you and you're accepted. So then you're willing to be bad at something because you know that everything is material for love. Yeah, I think, I think that's sort of what you're, what you're talking about, I suppose, is a sort of playful relationship with the world. I think you're, you're sort of suggesting, you know, um, that everything is f sort of fodder to continue to play with like your siblings and your family uh, in that. And I think that's true. And I think, yeah, the world is funny and you, the world's all sorts of things, but I think, you know, to, to sort of the way I'd like to see it. And I, I do like to enjoy myself and I like to try hard and I like to do things well, and I like to be good at stuff, but I think, um, it's actually a probably better way of getting there is to is to sort of find the whole thing a bit ridiculous. And there are certainly things with rugby, you know, it was ridiculous. What we were doing was ridiculous. It's a sort of silly game and it's got all these arcane rules and you're in the gym and you're getting, you know, you're getting beefed up and <laughs> you know, actually just enjoying that and like knowing that was stupid was was also fun and being like, okay, like let's all acknowledge this is ridiculous. And then we can still try hard at it and like, you know, kind of reap the benefits. And I think the right, the right places foster that as well. And you can tell sometimes you meet certain people and, um, and they have that relationship that they, they can kind of, they can joke with you. And then when there's something sort of serious and go, okay, now earnestly, like, right, we're on this. And then just to have that like movement. And I think, what you're talking about is kind of broadening that out to like your, your entire relationship with the world. And that's a really, uh, it's probably not, it's not an easy thing to do, you know, like there, there are things about ourselves that we're uncomfortable about, you know, and, and I, and I was thinking about it just then with, with the humor aspect and, you know, with some people when, when you can't make a joke about something, it's because it's still, it's still fraught, right? There's still something that's fraught that's unresolved. And so it's it's not ready to be joked about yet. And then so once something is actually kind of has been worked through, then it can kind of become something. And yeah, sometimes preempting that in the wrong environment <laughs> can obviously get you in trouble. But I love what you're saying about kind of entering into a state of play with the world. That's so cool.
I'm, I'm really glad you appreciate that. And it's cool to hear your reflections on that with rugby. Like it's, it's the simultaneous acknowledgement of the silliness of this thing, the ridiculousness thing, while also taking it re- seriously and wanting to get really good at that. That, that tension, it does seem to work. Like if the result that we want to produce is getting good at something, I think that being able to hold that tension of seeing the ridiculousness while also honoring our desire to get really good, that seems to be the thing that allows us to get really good at stuff because it just creates relaxation. Yeah, I've I've actually got a good example. I remember talking, um, there's a guy I met who helps people with their public speaking skills, you know, and that's something that not everybody likes to do. And one of the things was, you know, getting famous speeches or bits of poetry or, you know, Shakespeare sort of, um, you know, those kind of big speeches and then getting people to read them out. And people, people are quite awkward about doing it in the first place, particularly in front of a group, or even if it's just one-to-one, that's, that can feel quite awkward, you know, if there's no group. Um, But what, what he would do is then get them, okay, like, do it for me and they'd do it and it, it would be like not great and they'd be like okay do it in a high squeaky voice and then they would then you know have to kind of <laughs> become ridiculous and see the silliness in it and then they'd be, relax be like do it in your like lowest grumpiest voice you know and kind of cycle through all these things they'd be like okay cool now come back like do it again do it like you know kind of uh. do, it, do it yourself and it was like helping people to get into that state of play with their practice with yes. something they hated was something they hated and were bad at but it was getting them to see the inherent like ridiculousness of of what they were doing and of themselves and like being fine being fine with it that was i thought that was such a cool little example of it that's a fantastic example what what the way that i hear that is what he was inviting them to do was to play with different identities to help them get to a space where they could see how seriously they were taking their identity before they started playing like the speech. And I think that this is why people struggle to get good at things is because them doing the thing, they're actually investing more energy into appearing like they are good at the thing or appearing the way that they think they need to appear rather than immersing themselves into the experience of the thing. And it seems to be the case that like when we're doing that, when we think that appearing good at it is going to be the thing that gets us to be safe. It just creates rigidity. It creates rigidity and rigidity is not necessarily bad, but it's not helpful to get good at the things that we want to be good at. No, you're right. There's that expectation. And that's just the expectation we place on ourselves, isn't it? I, I did a, I went back to my old university last year to do a speech at their awards do, and I was quite nervous. It was, you know, it was 10 minutes. I, I'd done kind of workshops and things, but this was just, there's going to be no responses. I'm just going to talk. And, you know, then that's that. And so I looked up some of the kind of convocation, I think they're called the convocation speeches on YouTube. And and actually the two that were really helpful for me, there's one from Elon Musk and there was one from Denzel Washington. And it was like, you know, Denzel Washington is an unbelievable actor, you know, and he's really cool. And Elon Musk is obviously this incredibly, sort of success, he's the most successful person, in, you know, if you want to define success through that sort of way, you know, in any room he goes into, he's probably the most interesting person. Um, and they're both, they're both quite bad. You know, Denzel Washington, <laughs> you know, this amazing actor, you know, like stumbled over his words. You know, he, he didn't sort of recite what he was doing perfectly. And Elon Musk was quite awkward and sort of, um, you know, sort of very stilted in a way, but actually they were both great because they were both who they were 
and they were both earnest and they didn't pretend to be someone else. And actually I watched it and I thought, oh, that was actually fantastic. It let me relax because I thought, oh, they've actually, they're not actually technically that good at this, but what they have done is just turn up and be, yeah, I know it's a bit sort of cheesy, but do the best version of themselves that they could at that thing, <laughs> you know, be the best them. And um, and that was it. And, it. and it really helped me get on with it actually. And and sort of what I, what, what I find helpful sometimes is to sort of get, do some prep and I, I can get a bit, Heads up there. I'm like, okay, I, I know I'm going to want to prepare, do some prep, and then almost be like, okay, well, actually, don't need that, that, that. <laughs> you know, like nice. have it there and make it discardable. You know, be like, okay, now I've kind of worked that through. I'm going to actually just get rid of it. And then <laughs> I, I, I can relax into what I'm really supposed to be doing then, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, the word that you said is such a great word, which is their earnestness. They were just, they, it was perfect because they were just being who they were, they were, they were practicing earnesty. One of the things that I like, what I have found has really made life simple. What has been very empowering for me is not investing so much energy into like, I need to be technically skilled at this thing. I need to do whatever it is. It's more that thing that you just said of like, what does it look like if this is about earnesty? What does it look like if this is about sincerity? Like with you, you're speaking about with your content before, what's this like if this is just a practice of passion and inspiration and the things, the technical skill will develop over time if what I'm doing is, con- is being consistent in my practice of this internal experience I want to have, like earnesty, sincerity, kindness, passion, whatever it is. And it's really cool to me to hear that that came through to you. You're like, oh, the thing that's actually valuable here is not the perfect speech, but the, but what's valuable is a person just being practicing being themselves. Mm. No, I think so. And I think with the, yeah, with the content as well. And I thought about it with the, with the with the first book. One of my things was okay. How am I going to market? And one of the things was by making a virtue of the differences. And it was and it was sort of going okay, right? Well, um, other sports books have like someone's face because they're a famous athlete. And I'm like, I'm not a famous athlete. So I got this guy, and he made craft drinks because I thought, okay, the the cover needs to stand out like in a similar environment on a shelf, but no one knows what it's like inside. They might read a review, but you know they can't. They can't taste it before they buy it, really. And um, and he made this beautiful, really bold graphic cover, which I love. And and then you're like, right, well, actually, like that is so different. You see all the other books, and you're like, oh, this one looks totally different to all the ones in its category. And I think with um, one of the nice things I think with TikTok, and there's there's obviously all sorts of sides of it, but because there was maybe a point where everything was so polished that actually obviously the response is like sort of unpolished and, and that suits someone who's just getting going as well. It's like, right, well, actually if unpolished is the thing, you know, then actually let's make a virtue of it. Be like, okay, this is, I am just sat there doing this and it's going to sort of stand on the virtue, you know, live or die on the virtues of what I'm saying and like how I'm presenting it more than um, what it looks like or, you know, sort of, how good the, I don't know, the graphics are, I suppose. So, so you identified like the, the virtues of this endeavor, the virtues of this project. One of them is unpolished. And what this is about for you, what I'm hearing is like, you're going to live or die in these things. Like these are the ones you've chosen 
you've chosen them. And what this is about is like maintaining, maintaining integrity related to the things that you have chosen simply because you've chosen them. No, I think that's, that's what I've got is like the integrity of my recommendation. And the other thing I'd be interested to ask you as well, because like with the, with my kind of topic now and, you know, rugby was my topic, I suppose it was what my focus was, uh, but I was always reading and, you know, I, I could probably talk more about rugby, but I think now I'm like, well, books have always been with me, you know, my entire life. And I feel like, you know, maybe I'll write, maybe I'll do something else, but that there's something I feel like I could read and talk about forever, you know, or for the foreseeable. And I'd be interested to ask you, because obviously you're, you're in this, you're in this thing, you've got your expertise and you're sharing it and you're, you know, all these things. And uh, do you feel that same sense of kind of infinite sort of possibility? Could you kind of play around with that for the foreseeable? I'd be interested to know your kind of thoughts on, on that. Yeah. I, I, what this is, a what this has become, what this has become for me is a process of getting better and better at owning my truth and using the truth of who I am and what my experiences have been to as it's really like my, my truth is a vehicle for me to communicate a particular energy. So that's how I see it. When I'm making content, I like to show up having a particular internal experience and my life is designed around getting to have that experience as much as I can. I like to think about filling myself up so much with that experience that I have a surplus of it and making content is the practice of using that surplus to invest into other people so that they can use that to help them get more of that internal experience themselves if they want that internal experience, be it like joy, kindness, curiosity, awe, wonder, right? So fundamentally, that's what I see content as. And I think you you alluded to it. Like that's the thing that people are really engaging in is what is this person experiencing? Like what is this aliveness they're experiencing? And I, I don't know, that that for me is the content that I want to be creating. And then in terms yeah. of the actual words and the things that are said, like, I, I think it just is the case that like getting better and better at owning and communicating the truth of my experience, I think what that is really doing is getting me to, if, if when I'm, if my internal experience like joy or love or awe is like a particular musical note. And when I'm making content, I'm playing that note and it's coming through the content. What, what seems to be the case is like getting better at owning my truth is like learning to tune my note better. It like plays it more clearly, plays it more beautifully. I'm not investing energy into creating noise, like trying to pretend I'm someone I'm not. It's just like getting to the signal communicating the signal. So the way that I see it is like, if prob it's probably the case that getting better at owning my truth is an infinite process. Like there are probably things that I'm not even aware of not owning currently, you know? So if I'm just committed to that, like the truth of my experience, then I have an infinite amount of content to create. But really what I'm doing is offering people or sharing a particular internal experience. I loved, um, yeah, the, it's quite a recent video of yours, but it was the, uh, the one about kind of when you have like dark, 
dark thoughts, I suppose. And when I was thinking about it and how it's okay, you know, like we all have a dark side and, um, you know, loads of our art obviously deals, you know, Star Wars obviously is for the light side and the dark side. And there are people who, who use the dark side to become very powerful. And, you know, maybe that's not a positive version, but the, it can certainly motivate you. These, these feelings can motivate you. But when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about with books and I think, yeah, there's an obvious, you know, some books you're like, wow, you know, there's, the character is obviously experiencing, you know, dark time or, the, or they're dark, you know, that they are, you know, maybe let's use Brett Easton Ellis was the book I just read, which was fascinating. And, and he wrote um, American Psycho. So obviously it's the guy is a psychopath. So you're in this, you're in this person's head. And the thing is also a big joke. So it's like the guy is sort of, it's gross, but it's funny. And it's almost pulling you every which way and making you feel certain you know feelings that are quite conflicting sometimes but i think that's one of the other things i love about books is it's an avenue for you to almost explore your own sort of dark feelings and obviously also the author must have had some some things to yes. think when they wrote down as well so you're like well hang on like what were they thinking when they did this and then it helps you sort of with that okay well it's okay for me to have some of these feelings. this is how this person's like used some of these avenues like you know they've gone down this avenue of expression and um the recent ellis book was really cool because he like really messes around with the idea of like who's writing so it's sort of modern day him is relating a story that we all know about like younger day him but then you're like okay there's clearly a sort of bleeding in of like fiction and and fact and you're and it's sort of has you there but he he toys with the perspectives and it's really clever and you're just like oh wow like um and you don't feel I didn't feel like I knew by the end but that wasn't really the point it was more that just yeah he sort of manipulated me throughout the book and I just really enjoyed myself you know you, enjoyed, <laughs> but, you wanted to be manipulated yeah. yeah definitely and I think the um I, th I really think like art is such a great vehicle for like exploring those those dark feelings we all have and it can really just pull things out of you and 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 help you kind of sit with them for a bit and i think i, I really resonated with that video you made actually it was really cool thank you i'm i'm really i'm really glad that that resonates with you yeah that's that's the thing like if i were to identify my virtues and this isn't i i can't package this into one word yet maybe there is one word for it but it like one of my virtues is practicing getting better and better at telling the truth of my darkness telling the truth about the things that exist in my psyche and in my world that I think uh, are not supposed to be seen, or if they are seen, then I'll be perceived a certain way or rejected. Like I want to be the person who's the most willing to communicate the truth of my internal world but there's a version of it where like like I want to do it with the intention of it being in service of other people. Like I I do think that there's a version of it that people call vulnerability. This is really just them like dumping things and it yeah, maybe that is vulnerability, but I like to do it. I like to ground myself in being in service of others, like helping them go from where they are to where they want to be and and using it as material for that, which I think is what art is. Like, I think that whether or not they're conscious of it, like people who are writing a book, like that's the thing that they're doing. They're taking a person on a journey from where they are to where they might like to be. Mm. No, definitely. And I think, yeah, there, there are certainly people that sort of have a sort of performative vulnerability. And, and I think that that's a shame because it models certain sort of ways of sharing that 
maybe not true or not not so helpful but what you're talking about is a sort of is is being in service and it makes me think a little bit of um of J- james baldwin the writer was very happy to just expose his own failings on the page and be like you know this yeah th- this is how i felt this is what i did and and they're not good things and you think yeah. oh wow you know but but to be like this is it this is this is how this felt and and that's you that. know, and actually that is a kind of um that is a vulnerability in service isn't it because it's it's being like okay here's a here's a dark version of me or here's a version of me that's that's not polished and and it's a raw version but actually it's it's sort of it helps you see that a person is not just the sort of one thing. And I was, I was curious to ask you as well, would you write, would you write a book? Do you think? That's a great question. I, I would love to, the idea of writing a book has always felt to me like this big, massive, beautiful accomplishment. That's always felt far away. You know, I I imagine a lot of people feel like, Whoa, like you wrote a book. Uh, And I would, I would love to, I have really fallen in love with writing I, I, I think that I used to be a horrendous writer and I think I'm actually a really good writer now. And it's, and it's, and I, I love the things about myself. The things that I love the most about myself are the things that I was like really bad at at one point and now have, have become good at because of all of the effort that's put in. So yeah, I think I would love to. And sometimes when I get asked that question, I, and maybe this is a little bit of an annoying answer, but there's a part of me that thinks that I already am. I are in the things that I'm doing. I already am writing a book. I just like don't have a word document currently that's organized with a table of contents, you know, but, but yes, I would like to put something like that out into the world. And as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm curious about like your thoughts on, the the impact of a book like do you do you think that sometimes that do you think that in terms of people uh getting to transform or getting to become more of who they want to be do you think that books are the best way to help people do that oh writing a book yeah yeah um i think no, I, I, I think people can do it however they like, really. But I think whether what a book does, in the same way, um, interesting what you said because the there's something in committing to the point of view that you had at that time, and you know. So with my first book, you know, those were things I thought three years ago or never. I think it was three years ago. Um, but, you know, maybe now my views might have changed or softened a little bit. But, you know, that that's what I said. And like I have to kind of stand by that and let it go at the same time. And and for me, because, yeah, because it's not an easy thing to do. I think I think when things are difficult, they do help you transform whatever they are. Right. So um, and I, I had this, you know, I grew up loving books and just because I read them, I sort of thought, oh, I'd love to write one one day you know, one day, one day, one day. And then there was this point, you know, after playing rugby, about a year afterwards, I decided to develop the idea and I had it and I was like, okay, right, I think, and I've been practicing my writing. And I, I remember, and I was talking to someone about this the other day, but having that very clear, you know, like two parts and it was like, okay, well, um, you've always thought you've wanted to do this. Um, here it is, like, here's a version, which is very plausible for you to be able to, to get to you know you're gonna have to work and it's gonna be difficult but 
you know, here's a route to it, or you could just not do it. And then it was very, who do you want to tell yourself you were, you know, or like, yep. what's the, what's the version of yourself you'd like to be? Like, are you the person who does the things that you think you want to do? And I was like, yeah, I think I am that person. And so I was like, right, that's it. And once I was, once I had that kind of, um, that, that thought process, I suppose, then that, that was it. And I was kind of, yeah, going to finish it through hell or high water, really. But I, I love think that. It, it's that, it's that commitment to like, to a project, to yourself. And it's, you will be different by the end of it. Like, yes. you know, win, lose or draw. Yes. Yes. I, I was at, um, I don't know how to say this band's name, like Cronbin. You may know who they are. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. it's, I mean, God, I love their music. I just have no idea how to say the type, their name. So I was at a Crombin concert. Yeah. Right. I had no idea. And, and I, and I, they like, they are so cool. They, their energy is just immaculate. So good. The way they move, like their, their songs are just like perfect. And I was in the crowd and I was having the thought that like, wow, I bet most people here are watching Karambin and thinking that they're some of the coolest people that they've ever seen in their lives. And they might be. And then I was thinking like, well, what's the difference between Karambin and everyone else? It's probably only that Karambin chose to be Karambin and everyone else is afraid to make that choice. And that's what I hear you talking about with the book. Like, like the difference between the person who does it and who doesn't do it is the person the person who chose to do it. They chose to be bold. They chose to do the thing and they did it and then they became the thing. And it's really cool to hear you recall that experience in that way. Yeah. And it, it definitely, I, I was at a point as well where I'd stopped doing something that, you know, I wasn't the very, very best at, but I was pretty good at it, you know, and then to suddenly be in the eyes of the world, like not really very good at anything. And it was an opportunity, it was a bit of a kind of, it was a bit warrior stage in a way to be like, no, I'm, I'm going to put my flag in the sand. But but it was, yeah, pushing at the sort of edges of myself a bit as well and being like, like you were talking about, being like vulnerable in print. And I think one of the cool things recently, like li- last week, actually, I was at school and I'm working on this like boys literacy thing and talking about books with like teenage boys, basically. Um, and t- in the UK, like boys are quite often further behind in reading terms than girls. And it's, uh, v- people think various things, why, you know, various reasons why, but actually talking about, you know, um, about life and th- talking about rugby and then talking about books and then talking about content. And I was saying that, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to be the megastar rugby player that maybe I wanted to be, but actually the version I did get to be precipitated this book and you know that's not the greatest book ever but it is it, i think it's pretty good and like yeah. no no it didn't exist and you're like so it you know one thing begot the other and then that then led on to to this and now we're all sitting here talking and i think um and afterwards their teachers were saying oh they you know they don't often get to hear about people that you know f- that fail or that what what failing is you know it's a bit like when you watch the Olympic hundred meter final, the guy that comes eighth, everyone's like, "Oh, lame," <laughs> you know, "Oh, he's rubbish," and you're like, "He's the eighth fastest man in the world." You yeah. know, I'm sure he, he he might feel like he failed, but like, <laughs> but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, he's great. So it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think like helping helping those guys, those young guys, like maybe 
um, kind of reframe some of their expectations themselves was really cool. And it, and it is books, you know, books have been the vehicle to go and have those conversations with these guys. So is that's what um, I'm really grateful for as well with what I'm doing, because I think now I get asked to do some things that, you know, I wouldn't have made them up myself. I wouldn't have offered. But when somebody says, oh, what do you fancy doing this? And I love the sense of possibility now that there is around kind of work for me, because the idea of going and doing that, you're like, oh, that's so fun just to go and talk about what I like to, <laughs> to kind of young, kids who are probably young, eager to hear yeah. you talk about it. Yeah, it's really exciting. One, one thing that I like, so in my, the way that I see it, so it seems like men have this thing where it's like, it's really compelling. Men are motivated to achieve a high version of masculinity. And I think that, so I have, I have a friend who was in the special forces, um, like elite of the elite, right? Experienced some crazy things in battle. And one of the things that I've learned from him, which is fascinating, is that when he got to achieve the identity of like, I am this dude, like I am this, I am a warrior and he got to experience himself as like the top of the hierarchy of masculinity, which it is like, I think all like men would agree that in some version of masculinity, like we all want to be that thing. Oh, the ultimate warrior. It's the know? ultimate like, warrior. It's the ultimate warrior. What he said was what it allowed him to do was to become much more fluid in his sexuality which was fascinating. It was like getting to achieve this thing of top of the hierarchy of masculinity allowed him to ex like to to be to be like anywhere on the spectrum of sexuality that he wanted to be. It like gave him permission for him to be himself having achieved this version of masculinity. And my like my experience tells me that that's a very real thing. And that like you and rugby is somewhere close to the top of that hierarchy and you got to have that thing. And then you go into a room with boys who I'm sure a lot of them want to be athletes and you get to be this representative of, of what it looks like to have achieved this thing close to the top of the hierarchy of masculinity and you love reading and you want to speak about failures. Like that seems like a very important thing. Well, I hope so. Um, I always, I always found growing up as well that the the guys, you know, above me in the hierarchy, I suppose, in, like the the older players who were most helpful to me were the best ones, and because they, I think, to your point, that they were the most comfortable with who they were and what they'd done, and they were no. Maybe they didn't see me as a sort of threat to them, but you know, it's um, they they were no longer in a competition with everybody else. They they were like very comfortable with who they were, and that's what I hear from your friend. And it's like, okay, I know I know who I am and what I can do, and actually that opens me up to like you know exploring other sides of myself, whether that's becoming a teacher, you know, whether that's you know meeting different people and exploring you know different sides of your sexuality. It's like almost the the people that have got there. Um, 
you know, they, they know there's other sides to life almost. And um, yeah, and I always found it's the people that were striving were maybe the ones that were a bit less. That's really to interesting. Give off themselves, I suppose. To, to like be softer. It's really what it is. Like in both of those examples with the special forces guy and, and the guys who were the kindest to you, who wanted to teach you, like the both people who had like, fully maximized achieving a lot of what they probably wanted to achieve. Like they did the thing and doing the thing in those examples. And I think that this is probably something that we could expand and think of as maybe a principle getting to achieve the thing seems to allow men to be soft and to be expressive. That's a very interesting thing. Mm, Yeah. That really is. Yeah. I, I don't have more on that. It's interesting. But hey, <laughs> it's, I, I have loved this conversation. I really, you are super passionate and inspired. Like you are that. You have been smiling and beaming the entire conversation about all these different topics. And it's just so, it's such a pleasure to see another person, especially another man, another man who's athletic be expressive. I think that's, I I do think that that is a very important thing for the world to experience. And I'm really glad that you are that person. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And I think the other thing is I've been grinning because I've just been having such a good time. So I think, thank you for having me and thank you for like letting me have this conversation and for joining in with you. And it's definitely felt like play, right? To our point earlier, it's felt like we've got to sort of play with these ideas and that's why it's been so fun so i hope you know you've had as good a time as i have and thanks so much i have i really have it is especially meaningful for me as a man to be able to have a conversation like this with ben a conversation that is honest truthful insightful like my perspective changed as a result of this conversation it's coherent and clear Like we spoke about, Ben is eager to give love. He's eager to be curious. He was beaming the whole time we spoke. And that is a very special thing to be able to have, especially as a man. And Ben, I really appreciate you for showing up in the world the way that you do. And to the audience, thank you so much for being here and listening. 